Okay, Eric. Well, uh, it's a huge welcome um, uh, for you to join us on the Sales Transformation Podcast. Uh, you've been quite a difficult person to track down. I think we've been trying to organize this podcast for a few months. Um, but for the listeners, um, I'd just like to say we discovered uh, Eric because he was cited as being one of the top 50 most influential people in sales enablement to um, to watch out for in 2023. So we thought it would be important for us to at least see if we can get him on our podcast. So we're very grateful, Arup, for you to join us. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And apologies, it's been a little bit of time. I appreciate you being flexible around some of my personal circumstances. So thank you for that. Oh, no, it's, no we always uh, you know, appreciate the fact people do give us time for these um, uh, before we get going, Arab, would you mind just sharing, uh, for the benefit of our, our listeners, a little bit about your sort of personal journey? And do you mind if we start, you know, some time back? I mean, how did you get into sales enablement in the first place? What, what, what's been your sort of career pathway uh, to the role that you have now? Yeah, I, I'd say principally accidental as I think is the case for most uh, most people in either a sales operations or a sales enablement function. Um, you know, when I started my career, which, by the way, has always been in a B2B capacity. So uh, the, you know, the, the kind of natural trajectory for me when I joined uh, and started in corporate life around about 20 odd years ago, the natural trajectory for me is I was trying to find my place in, in a kind of a corporate environment, the role that was right to me. Um, it ended up being a role that kind of covered um, analytics, kind of sales performance analytics, uh, a lot of the sales tooling, um, which naturally just started to lead from uh, being able to undertake some of those disciplines, rolling into what has now become kind of some of the core component parts of both sales operations and then more recently sales enablement as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think I found my pathway to sales ops and enablement really through, I mean, initially through just luck as it were right and 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 when i talk to a lot of my peers it's the same for them as well it's not really a a domain that was labeled so clearly as either sales operations or sales enablement 20 years ago it, that that kind of label didn't exist it was sort of in a in a business performance or business strategy function um and i'd say over the last 20 years as well with the advent of more and more and more and more technology that's made these mm. processes fall into place in, in in a kind of much more concrete way the labeling behind the function as sales operations and sales enablement has really kind of solidified. So yeah. as that's been happening and as I've been able to participate in it, enjoy it, and maybe even to a certain extent shape it as well, it's kind of become the place that I've landed. Mm. So you've come into sort of sales enablement through a, a sort of, I guess, more the data analytics side. Is that right? That's true. So, so was that where you got your initial degree, for example? Was it in a data science sort of area and you've sort of transitioned into sales ops from that or, you know? No, I mean, actually, ironically, <laughs> okay. my, my undergraduate is in literature and philosophy. Oh, is it? So, okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's comfortable spreadsheets right so well some are more than others <laughs> i would say <laughs> so yeah and the, the maths isn't particularly complex so yeah i mean i think i i you know after university uh there isn't to be fair a lot that you can do with literature and philosophy i think it still is a good grounding i think on reflection when i look back on it it's a great grounding in terms of in terms of having helped my corporate communication, uh, my ability to analyze, my ability to see lots of different things connected. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, the process behind doing literature is you, you look at multiple pieces of work and the yes. common themes that run across them. So actually, it's it's really helped me in terms of analyzing business challenges and commonalities, etc. It's helped me a lot. But perhaps I didn't appreciate that when I left university. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I was looking for, for, for you know, for, uh, for, for, you know, for, for a role, uh, as it were, uh, and, um, and, and actually doing what ended up being data entry, what I started off doing as a kind of right. a data entry analyst, then kind of transitioned into actually, I'm quite comfortable with spreadsheets and databases. And then that yes. transitioned into actually, I can, I can produce analytics and reports and insights. Now that transitioned into sales performance analytics. So yeah. it was kind of almost the sort of organic process of oh, I need a job I'm actually quite good at this and comfortable with the technology that you need yeah. to use um, and it sort of 
kind of I quite a I quite agree with yeah. the um, link to English literature. I mean, we, as you as you may know, we're um, you know we're we're a sales business school, and we run our undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in partnership with Middlesex University, and we have this. Yep. Um, this would be unfair, but it's said in the nicest way. But we have there's a particular lecturer at Middlesex University who is passionate about literature, and um, and she introduces literature into the final year of our master's program. So we have yeah. these salespeople who typically hate reading <laughs> and studying things, <laughs> picking up a book. All of a sudden. <laughs> being transformed into reading <laughs> extracts from these amazing books that she's, I don't know where she plucks them from. And not only that, actually, not only that, she, she actually encourages them to write. And we have now about 20 of our students, having finished the master's, going on to write for academic publications or indeed a book. And we've got two books coming out this year from our students all because of this one mad, fun, brilliant lecturer at Middlesex University who's passionate about literature. So right. I think the ability to be able to synthesize information, make sense, critically reflect, um, all of those things you need for looking at data has a, a real strong connection with literature. So, yeah. Uh, so I had to share that story because I... No. You know, just seeing how people respond you know, to literature, and, I, and of course, you, you told me previously uh, that you know that you worked in Middlesex University, and actually, yes. that, that's kind of my alma mater. That's where I did my yes, that's my right. You did so your undergraduate I, there, yeah. exactly. So I, I was obviously very, 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 very keen to support. Yeah, um, and actually, I'm also a kind of fellow at the the ISP. So I've, I've joined up at the Institute for Self Professionals yes. as well. And again, I, I absolutely love the ethos of yourselves and the isp in terms oh, of God. wanting Thank to you. build kind of more of a um you know kind of a recognized career pathway with the yeah. academic almost the academic well not almost with the academic grounding and the background to be able to help elevate that role of sales yeah um so i completely love that and i think for, for me from a sales enablement perspective that feels like that's the next chapter for me right because a lot okay. a lot of sales enablement is by its very nature today, because it's a discipline, it's a growing discipline, there's so much technology in it. A lot yeah. of it is about, you know, what are the kind of the, the, the sort of almost modular components of what you need to do to be able to drive a productive sales organization? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, which, which I'm, by the way, I'm not, not suggesting that I, I have that knuckled down or that I yes. do that at all. I, I, you know, and I've still got a lot to learn and a, and a lot to do and a lot to develop and a lot to continue yes. to deliver. But I love the ethos of stretching my thinking now to being like, how do I help elevate that role of sales? And how do I help um, more broadly, uh, uh, you know, um, um, people participate in that education process? But then equally, how can I bring some of that closer to help within that organization? Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your for your comments. Yes, we're on a, a journey. But if we, if we focus on the sales enablement, world i mean i think it's something that's really grown hasn't it in terms of its stature recognition Absolutely. as a function uh and perhaps as a philosophy as well inside organizations um uh as well and i think the idea i was, I was talking to um someone else who had a sales enablement role and uh, i asked the question do you ever think it will become a board you know will it become a you know, will we have the chief enablement officers now? And perhaps those positions actually exist, you know, because in a way you're straddling both, you know, the data side of things and uh, the sort of analytics of what needs to drive sales performance, but also with the enablement side, which is sort of developing, uh, you know, the, the future skill sets. It's a hugely important function, I think, in any, in any business. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I've certainly seen that it's rare, um, but I've seen it and I've seen it more perhaps in the revenue operations space. So I've kind of seen, you know, the, the sort of the, the chief, chief revenue, revenue operations. Officer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, That's you've got the chief, you know, the, the chief, the CRO, which is the chief revenue yeah. officer. And then there's kind of chief uh, revenue operations. So sort of almost CROO. Yeah. 
Um, and, um, you know, and it's, and it's sort of interesting because you're right, because, uh, and it, it is a bit challenging because does that role straddle a bit of strategy? Does it straddle a little bit of sales? Does it straddle, it straddles mm-hmm. so many different parts. It also straddles a little bit of kind of marketing, but then you have each of those individual areas also adequately represented by those senior leaders. So, you know, I, I can sort of see there is value in having enablement and, and kind of operations, revenue operations and revenue enablement. It's, it's valuable to have those roles, have a seat at the table without doubt, um, particularly in environments where there may be misalignment across some of those other stakeholders mm-hmm. at the high table, you know, for, for one of a better expression. But then equally at the same time, I kind of also think, well, you know, is that is that adding too many voices into the mix? Um, right. When, yeah. when, when actually some, sometimes it's, it's better to have a slightly simpler model. Um, right. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 is, it is interesting, right? Um, uh, for a period of time earlier this year, we've had some, we've had some leadership change. Uh, and I report up into the chief commercial officer. So again, yeah. the, the, the senior vice president of sales, if you like. So um, for a period of time, we had that role as a gap. And so I had, for a four-month period of time, an interim reporting up into our regional president. So arguably, I kind of had, you know, did I have a seat at the table? Not exactly. I wasn't invited into the the monthly meetings, but I certainly had the regional president's mm. ear, and we were able to talk about a lot of things. And and actually, again, we we, we reflected a lot on the the culture of the sales organisation and how could I help maybe move the dial in terms of trying to influence some of that culture. So mm. so does this role have a place, uh, you know, um, at C suite? Maybe, but I I think it would need to be able to showcase differentiated value in that yes. respect as yeah. opposed to just the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, we need to do ABC or XYZ initiative to, to drive, you know, an mm. increase in productivity. I, I you know, I, I think it has to go beyond that. Mm. Well, I think it might be helpful for the listeners also to understand a bit more of your sort of current context as well, sure. because I know you've had some uh, sort of great roles with Amex. I th- is that right? And, That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And now, uh, but Evalon? Is it Elevon? I can't remember exactly. Elevon, the, yeah. Yes, yes. And then, uh, and then, I, I think uh, you've had uh, sort of supporting roles with various startups, and now I think Equifax. Yeah. Um. So maybe just honing in on your current role, Aaron. What could you just describe? What what it is? What you know? What is your role? What's the scope of your role? Maybe the type of sales organization that you're kind of sort of supporting in your current role yeah absolutely so i joined equifax in june 2022 so been here now literally a little over a year yeah about 14 15 odd months um and very much new to the credit reference agency world so still kind of in financial services and the financial services vertical as you i'm sure as you've alluded to and i'm sure you've seen I spent 13 years at American Express in two B2B lines of business, and then previously about uh, seven years at Elevon, again, in a payments industry and a payments company. Um, Having moved into Equifax, it's it's, it's really interesting because I suppose from a a kind of a vertical perspective, Equifax is upstream from from the companies like uh, American Express, Visa, Elevon, because they're essentially supplying those companies with information about businesses and individuals that help those companies make decisions about lines of credit and loan products, et cetera. Yeah. So that's where kind of Equifax sits in terms of its, uh, you know, in terms of its, its, its offering. Again, I think from a marketplace perspective, it is really interesting because if you look at credit reference agencies on a global basis and yeah. even, even locally within mature markets, generally, generally sort of, you know, uh, Western developed mature markets, you really only have three global players. Um, Experian, Equifax, yeah. and TransUnion, right? And okay. somewhere along the line, someone, you know, you you will have interacted with yes. either one of these brands, right? Again, if I think about um, TransUnion, are great at being able to offer your credit report to a consumer. They're able to offer their credit report and they have a lot of their strategy is embedded around having their capability uh, enabled through uh, retail banking applications. So if I go to my phone and I go to my retail banking application and it says, would you like to see your credit score? And I go, yes, I'd love to see my credit score. And it takes me in and generally that data and that capability is powered oftentimes by TransUnion, sometimes by Experian, yeah. but TransUnion have a good handle on that marketplace. Yeah. 
And it's interesting because, again, if you look at us globally, it's really three providers. Yeah. So you could, of course, argue that it's very oligopolistic, that it's, yeah. you know, it's really only three providers that have the, the marketplace cut up. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so actually, as a result, we should, you know, in, in the kind of the classic uh, economist view, we should actually be able to control price and be able to control the yeah. profit margins that we experience within the, within the industry. Right. It's, it's not that simple. Unfortunately, fortunately, but probably fortunately, otherwise yeah. we'd all be we'd all be regulated yeah. to heck, right? But fortunately, it isn't quite so simple. But it is an interesting marketplace dynamic. That you've got three big providers yeah. that have a huge amount of competitiveness um, in an environment where information is becoming much more readily available. Yeah. Decisioning around information doesn't have to come from a credit reference agency like uh, an Equifax or an Experian. Right. Um, increasingly big financial services companies have got data scientists and data engineers and these, these types of capabilities and they can run their own decisioning capabilities. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming what, 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 you know, what feels like an increasingly commoditized marketplace. Okay. So it is a very interesting kind of competitive dynamic. Yeah. Um, go ahead. So sorry. you sell to, uh, of, yeah, so, so, yeah. Who do, who do you, kind of who are your customer groups then i imagine you've got a b2b customer group and maybe b2c i i, I don't know That's... we we do so yeah. we have um, a kind of a b2b2c we've got a direct okay. to consumer so yes absolutely again that's like exposing your credit report and your credit report app out yep. to uh to, to consumers so you can come to the equifax website and kind of sign up for your yeah you know, your, your credit your report and you'd pay yeah. a subscription fee for a period of time to be able to access that data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As with with all uh, providers uh, like us, we also provide insights in terms of why your credit report is, right. you know, is the way it is and, and what actions you can take to, to improve it. Um, sort of building on that is our B2B2C model. So we could then provide that almost as a white label capability to other right. You know, to other okay. providers in the marketplace, like like ClearScore, and they they would take that and then they'd push that out. Yes. Um, and then um, our B two B offering is about the information and the insights provided to other, okay. typically financial service institutions, so that they can take that data, they can take those insights, and then make uh, instantaneous decisions as to whether they're going to offer a credit or a loan product to. You know, right. to a customer, or they're going to continue to offer a, a credit or a loan capability yes. uh, to a to a particular customer. Yeah. So in that space, you know, of course, we work with of course very large scale retail banks, all the way yeah. from that West to Barclays to Santander. Okay. Of course, with all of the 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 auto financiers, so you know, Toyota, VW, etc. Yeah. Auto financing is huge. Um, mobile telecoms. Uh, so, you know, again, if I'm going to give you an expensive handset to walk out of store, I yeah. need to be able to run a credit report, credit reference check, just to make sure that you can pay that back yeah. and that I'm not, I'm not kind of giving you, uh, you know, an expensive asset that I'm never, never going to see again. So yeah. those are the sorts of, uh, you know, anywhere where there's kind of, I mean, absolutely, even with the likes of Very. So we work with Very because Very, of course, extends you know, yeah. a line of credit out to their customers. Yeah, anywhere where that facility is required, we're able to support. Okay, that's that's great. And your role is in providing, you know, data support to the selling organization that's selling to these kind of organizations. Completely. So I'd say I have five major streams that sit underneath yeah. me, um, and they cover both the sales operations and the, the sales enablement space. Um, so number one is is absolutely all about education and, and, and kind of coaching. So I have a right. sales enablement director that sits in my team and yeah. he looks after all of the sales training programs that we have yeah. and we want to roll out. We've been developing some of the actually a lot of what we're doing is 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 kind of greenfield. So we're, we're plugging in processes and capabilities and, yeah. and activities that haven't existed before. So there's a whole chunk of work around sales education and sales training. Right. Um, secondly, uh, same individual looks after all of our sales news and best practice. So again, as we sort of think about, you know, parts of the organization where we want to be able to uh, understand what's worked well there and kind of build out a, a nice little story and kind of uh, from really simple things to, to driving, you know, from, yeah. from really simple things like driving, you know, kind of motivational good news stories on a, on a Friday all the way through to being able to provide some of this content mm. in, in kind of a more up the sort of up the line 
uh, update to leadership and kind of got a, a whole sort of section on sales news and sales best practice. Okay. Um, third is all on, and it's a, a huge piece, is all on bid proposal. So being able to support right. RFPs, RFIs, tender documentation, yeah. all of that. So again, that's a whole section that my team look after. The fourth is on sales performance analytics. So yes, okay. what, what, what data do we have in the system? What data can we extract from, of course, more often than not from our CRM system? And how can we utilize that information to understand what good looks like in terms of sales process and sales execution? Who's doing really well at that? Who could do better? And, and again, a lot of that is real close collaboration with finance because they will have, of course, all the revenue data, the, the ledger data. And again, finance look after all of our um, sales bonus incentive plan execution and sales bonus payments. So again, looking looking at who's yeah. performing well, why they're performing well, et cetera. And then the fifth is all of the sales tools. So again, I look after from a business perspective, all of our CRM tools, all of our sales enablement right. tools, et cetera. So all of that kind of the tech piece. All of that. There's like quite that. a number of uh, spinning plates. I would there's, a, there's a lot of spinning plates. Yeah, completely. So, um, and I think, you know, three individuals in my team. So we right. are doing, I think, a, a grand job. Um, you know, a total number of sellers that we, uh, that, you know, that, that we support is across the UK business and UK focus across the UK business, something like 70 to 75. Okay. Uh, total sellers so yeah. um wow. you know it's 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 a large enough it's a large-ish enough number yeah and there's plenty to do um and so yes i think a, a good chunk of what what i do is is just help my team prioritize and, and yeah. kind of help them you know have that constructive conversation back into our stakeholders yeah fantastic so during uh, the an earlier conversation we took we and we i'd love to there are many topics that i'd love to explore with you and you know, one of the topics would be around, you know, the the explosion of now of sort of technology related tools that can enable salespeople to become more productive. You know, uh, uh, but but you also talked about culture, which actually is a subject so close to my heart as well. Um, and I, I, one of the or sort of quotes that you often hear about is sort of culture eat strategy for breakfast. You know, quite often, it, you know, you can have a great strategy, yeah. but the culture's not right. But, but on the other hand, you know, if you have the right culture, but without any strategy in place, you're going to be <laughs> sort of slightly directionless. So it, it kind of, you need both, but I, I'm really interested to, when you start to look at some of the sort of nutty problems that you have to deal with and with your, your sort of, commercial director has to deal with um you know what what role do you think culture has to play and and how do you think about culture because it's quite a nebulous kind of topic in a way it's something that's unique to your business and yeah, yeah so tell, tell me what your thoughts are on that yeah i think so from a cultural perspective there's sort of three strands that i've been trying to engage around and sort of build some, I guess, a little bit of collective um, energy behind. Um, number one, um, so when I joined the organization, that was June last year, and I yeah. just joined and, you know, we just released our annual employee survey. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I partook of the annual employee survey, right? I'm yeah. brand new into the company. So, you know, I, everything was super, super, super positive. Then when the results came out in July, August, I was obviously kind of super surprised to hear that our line of business you know, we were tracking from an employee uh, engagement perspective roundabouts a score of fifty five percent, right? Okay. So, which which is which is challenging, right? Because yeah. you know, a typical benchmark, I think, within the organization, the typical benchmark was round about seventy percent. And if yeah. you look at the kind of the high performing companies, they generally track at the sort of the eighty eighty percent plus benchmark yeah. in terms of employee engagement. So to be tracking at fifty five is is definitely yeah. a, you know a warning sign. Now again, I think some of that is improved. We haven't we haven't retaken uh, a survey just yet. I do think mm. some of that is improved because again, I think some of that was very sort of you know influenced very directly by a lot of flux in in terms of the sales leadership. So I think that's settled and settled really well. So you know when we do take the next survey, I wouldn't be surprised if that improves a, a decent degree, at least sixty percent. But I, I think it's still a little bit of a watch out, even if we're tracking in at about 60%, even 65%. That's essentially saying that, you know, six out of 10 people are happy here. 
and the rest are either ambivalent or they've got their eye on the door, right? Yeah. So, and I, you know, obviously I would, I would prefer for us to be tracking the 70 to 80% plus. So that's kind of my first, my first sort of uh, area, which is like, how do we improve the culture? How do we start to bring a little bit of a mm. sense of a high performance culture? Um, so, so actually, instead of it just being, how do we tinker with this? I think my, my kind of, my recommendation has been actually let's let's stretch it let's talk about a high performance culture let's start to talk about that let's talk about yeah. what that means and what that means to individuals right and 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 how we start to get that sense of a, a growth mindset in place literally for everybody right and that, that doesn't mean that you have to aspire to be two levels up in the organization but it mm. means that you feel engaged in yesterday was yesterday and actually today i'm already better than i was yesterday right how do we help yeah. generate a degree of, of 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 sort of energy in that respect. So that was number one. Number two, uh, because I look after all of these strands, no surprise, I look after the forecasting process, right? So we yeah. get into our forecasting call every every two weeks. And salespeople love to be super, super positive, like way too positive, right? And I suppose that's the maybe the other other challenge is finding the right way of being not too positive and not wanting to bite off more than we can chew and perhaps even not 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 being too opportunistic and not kind of going oh yes we'll get that deal or yes we'll get that deal or yes we'll get that deal but just being like super focused on what is it that we can chase what is it that we can go after and actually if it also means that perhaps we haven't got the revenue trajectory that we that we want or that we're aspiring to yeah. that we are able to message that appropriately in the fullness of time whenever that yeah. message needs to land and we can help our regional president also convey that message again up the line as it's needed. So that was number three in terms of the kind of the, the, the sort of the propensity to to be a little bit over enthusiastic. And then I think number number three is connected to that is is very much around prioritization. We're absolutely an organization that across the board, uh, we just don't like to say no, right? Absolutely we don't like to say no. And I and that's true for 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 almost every organization I've been in, it's very difficult to say no. But I do find that in, in Equifax, we're, we're so engaged in what's the next opportunity, what do we need to move on to, that, that, that actually we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice. We're, we're, not, we're not focusing in on the select few that will drive the most impact. And then okay. number one and number two, we're, we're trying to move on so quickly. I, I think sometimes we're at risk of not completing an activity completely we're not we're not we're at risk of not certainly not celebrating when that activity is completed mm. you know and, and i think so those are the three sorts of cultural areas that, I, that i'm trying to to sort of um chip away at if you like you know i'm trying to yeah. build that stakeholder set with hr and kind of getting some voices in hr with a few of the other senior yeah. leaders in the organization just to kind of go well, how do we improve this how do we improve our prioritization how do we take a more balanced approach towards the way that we forecast so that we're yeah. not being too enthusiastic? And actually, how do we also, how do we, how do we convey an authentic voice into the sales teams that okay. talks about high performance and how we want to help everybody reach that, reach that threshold. So right. there's a, a balance of, of yeah, activities yeah. there. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's quite, quite interesting. Um, Reminds me of a number of um, number of quotes that I've I've heard about and uh, in uh, on the topic of probability, which is quite interesting. And I love that uh, sort of Daniel Kahneman uh, book as well. He writes about he talks about probability, thinking fast and slow, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which is just a fantastic book. Um, but uh, we we had someone stand up and talk at one of our stock exchange events and um uh paul devlin and he said uh, and he was working for a, a data company so he was very much a data guy and he, he said if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck it's a duck Thanks. you know and I, I i keep on coming back to this because i think that that salespeople perhaps like you said are generally more optimistic and you know they they um they perhaps uh, actually this is going to be quite controversial you know but yeah. they like to take the least amount of effort you know to get to a sort of given result and and so they're assuming that they've got enough pipeline to hit their targets but actually yeah. they need to have maybe double or triple the pipeline yeah. to get yeah, their yeah, targets yeah, yeah, yeah. but exactly. they just 
you know, they want to take the path of least resistance from an effort point of view. To get. Yeah. Um, but um, it's it's really interesting. And I, I just know myself from the sales, you know, that when you close a deal, you think that every deal in your pipeline is going to close. You get wildly optimistic. But if you lose a deal, the converse sometimes happens. You think every single deal in the pipeline is not going to close. So you tend to be rather emotional about it, not 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 sort of data driven, not not calm and not not looking at uh, I don't know if you think generally that's a, an issue that sales people have is they're sort of more, you know, emotionally driven individuals. You know, they're very much, you know, that's why they're in sales. They like building relationships, you know, rather than kind of data driven. So completely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think, I think that's absolutely the case. And, you know, and so it was interesting. I present when we had our, sales kick off at the start of this this year, it was end of yeah. February. And I presented on uh, kind of high performance behaviors and what yeah. I was seeing in our CRM system. And I very, very open, you know, started off by caveating that, you know, what I was looking at was uh, was average stance across the population of all, of all the salespeople and recognizing that some of our salespeople were in, in key account management roles that were very, very, very specialized in terms of the, the almost the one-to-one relationship of a salesperson yeah. with that account, with that existing account. And so the dynamic there, when you're looking at such a, a strong, close, almost one-to-one relationship with an account, you, you're going to have a different dynamic as opposed to if you're a salesperson with, even with a ring fence portfolio of 20 accounts, but you have more of a wider pool and you have perhaps an open marketplace and you can can add into that ring fence list and take out of that ring fence list. So when you're looking at things like, yeah, do you have an, you know, an adequate pipeline? Do you have enough leads slash opportunities in your pipeline? And are you creating enough? The, 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 the stats were stacked considerably in favor of a much higher percentage and much higher value for the, the top performers versus, yeah. you know, the standard performers. And I, and I came, I came off that presentation and I sat down at my table and then one of my colleagues at, at the same table as me, and that individual said to me, well, well, obviously that, that doesn't apply to me. You, you know, that doesn't apply to me. I look after XYZ retailer bank. So we only have a very, very limited pool of opportunity. And I said, okay, okay. Then I went back and I looked at that individual's opportunity creation in the, the sort of the, the final half of last year. And it was, it was stellar. There was loads of opportunities there. So I, that, again, I don't know if it's a case of, you know, I, I also think there's, you know, there, there, as, 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 uh, and I hope I don't think this is too controversial, but, but but sales do like to downplay it too. When they can, they do yeah, like yeah. to downplay. When they when they have the opportunity, absolutely they'll sing about the upside and they'll, you know, they'll they'll be super glass half full. And equally, when you show them some stats that says actually we, we expect this performance, well, that's that's you know, that's that's that, that doesn't happen in my patch cup, you know, and it would never happen. It's far too far too small a marketplace, not enough opportunity. How am I gonna hit that number? as well yeah okay yeah the data states otherwise actually (laughs) there's a there's a there's also a great story on the same topic which um just share with you which is uh someone who i think is one of the most brilliant sort of analytical sales ops people that i've i've ever uh, sort of i've i've ever met and he was you know he studied all this data and uh, he was looking at predictive analytics in a lot of detail. And um, he, he recalled a conversation with his boss, and it was his boss's birthday. And his boss was saying to his group of regional direct reports, he said, if you really want me to have a, you know, the happiest birthday is that all you guys will hit this, I think it was a 55 million sort of target by the end of this next quarter. And um, an offer Zilberman, he, he's been on this podcast before, he, he, said, um, he said to his boss afterwards, he said, do you know that if they hit 55 million, um, this will be the worst quarter that you'll ever have? Because the data says we're going to hit 72, not 55. And the sales director said, now, I don't think we're going to hit 72. And they hit something like 71.7. Okay. And and he said, this has massive implications for things like compensation. 
because if you set a target of 55, but you're, you know, you're paying people accelerators once you hit the target. Yeah, yeah. You, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so, I mean, it, I, 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 I sort of, I found that quite interesting as well. This whole aspect of how people kind of look at data um, as a, as a, a way of, better predicting i think sales performance but and it's interesting how you've connected it back to culture because i because the strands that you've described earlier um i don't know i would have not necessarily linked that to culture but i think i think you're talking about creating a more authentic culture around high performance i think that's yeah. that's where you want to go yeah and you're saying in order to be authentic we need to be perhaps better equipped at looking at, at data and probability as one of the, the strands. Yeah, I, I think so. So I think there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of um, you know, prevalent research at the moment, I'm, I'm sure you're, uh, you're, you're yeah. totally dialed into Philip, that, that looks at marginal gains and marginal yeah. improvements. Right? Yeah. So, and I think, you know, again, if I think about high performance, one of the areas that and I don't see it as a silver bullet, but I, I sort of definitely see it as a, as a key contributor towards building high performance in individuals and then a kind of a more collective high performance culture is notions such as, um, you know, such as uh, marginal gains. Like how do you how do you continue to focus on the, the small improvements that you can make in, in your daily processes that, that build up yeah. over time? Um, and interestingly, there's so much of the technology today that, offers that direct support for you to be able to do that right so for example things like conversation intelligence um so again you know I, and i'll name all the names so, so, yes. so that there's no sort of you know there's no preference here I mean, you, you've obviously got some very some very large household names in that space such as gong jiminy yeah. um and even even the likes of big tin can brain shark they're kind of developing uh, capabilities in that space i think Allegro is so like a lot of the sales yeah. enabling platforms have conversation intelligence capabilities in there. And when you talk to these companies and you talk to clients of these companies, the ones that use the, 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 the capability of the technology really effectively, uh, you know, they're taking everything that they can from it. Because a, a conversation intelligence platform will, of course, it records the, the conversation that you have with your client. And then it gives you a whole range of statistics yeah. in terms of did you ask enough questions? Were they were they you know were they open ended? Uh, yeah. a, a kind of probing questions, or actually were you locking down into? Kind of, were they more closed questions? So actually, is there is there a learning uh, opportunity yes. there? What was your mix of talking to listening, and is there a learning opportunity there? Um, you know, so all of these kind of stats. What was your sentiment and your client sentiment as you yeah. were going through that conversation? So a huge amount of of insight that you can get from tools like conversation intelligence, which then drive through to that notion of marginal gains. Because if you're undertaking, you know, a range of conversations in the week as a salesperson with your client or clients, yeah. uh, and then you have an opportunity, you you are disciplined about taking that that insight from a from a conversation intelligence platform and you listen back to it. Not only does it help remind you of all of the key points and kind of the key anchor points from mm. a commercial um, negotiation perspective, but you also start to self-analyze and you start to self-coach in terms of, well, how did that conversation go? Yeah. Could I have done better? What should I have done better? You know, did I ask enough probing questions? And actually, when we got to a certain point in the conversation where perhaps I could have closed down the conversation yeah. a little bit more, sort of locked in some agreement on next steps, did I do that or did I still leave it a yeah. little bit open, etc.? I think those sorts of capabilities allow you to, to experience that notion yeah. of marginal gain. And, and where at the moment marginal gains is kind of talked about, you know, it, you, you, you don't need, you know, an, an, an Olympiad on stage to talk to you about how they, they've incorporated marginal gains into yeah. that. I mean, it's, it's always thrilling and it's always inspiring to see yeah. you know, someone from the British cycling team on stage talking to you about how they've incorporated marginal gains into their daily processes and, and how you know sales and commercial environments can learn to do the same yes it's thrilling to hear that but the reality is we can do all of that and and you know and and, and ultimately part of part of my objective and my goal set is to look at okay if we talk about marginal gains what does that actually mean from a practical perspective and what do we need in terms yeah. of the the, the 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 capabilities and the the organization to start to get those building blocks in place once we've got those building blocks in place that doesn't 
drive the culture because the cultural change happens over time. It's, it, you know, it, it ultimately becomes, you know, if I give you these tools, will you be able to take advantage of them and then start to, to you know, to improve mm. your, you know, to improve your, your performance? And some, and as with any, as with any audience, any population, there will be some of our salespeople that immediately gel with that and take to it straight away. And then there will be, uh, you know, the remainder will, will have to go through mm -hmm. some, some level of change management, adoption, etc. Yeah. That's okay. That's, that's part and parcel. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, if you were looking kind of more to the future and you're looking at, you know, capabilities of sales teams, whether from a systems or a, an enablement skills point of view, what, what do you think organizations need to be cognizant of in order to build a, a future-ready, high-performing sales team? And it, it may be that you've alluded to some of these kind of factors or, already, but what would you say would be some of the key things? I mean, I think, you know, embracing technology is, is, is without, without doubt, uh, you know, a kind of a fundamental factor. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of the um, outstanding salespeople that I've seen, that I've talked to recently, they don't have a fear of that technology. They're quite mm -hmm. comfortable engaging with the CRM solution. They're called, yeah. they're, they're, they, you know, they recognize that there is a degree of admin associated with it naturally, yeah. but actually they can use that, that can use that, that technology to help drive their productivity. And that, that scales across everything, right? So whether it's, you know, have I updated my opportunity or my lead record or my activities in the CRM all the way through to, can I now start to use, uh, you, you know, things like ChatGPT in my favor? Yeah. Uh, um, it, it, you know, the, the ability to engage with technology and to, to sort of understand the promise that it, it provides. And, and of course, to do that within the, you know, kind of the compliant mechanisms of, you know, yeah. constraints of your company, obviously doing that with the, the, the rule set of your company. I think that, that, you know, that, that's where an improvement in productivity is, is just sort of naturally there if mm -hmm. you're able to sort of harness that and, and move forward yeah. there. And so you've talked about technology, but from a from a sort of soft skills basis, perhaps are there any any do you see any emergent themes also uh, sort of developing in time in terms of what are the the key sort of competencies that you would expect um, the sales team of the future to have or sales leaders of the future to have um, as well? Well, I, I mean, so. Certainly what I see today, I don't think there's anything, uh, anything revolutionary here in terms okay. of skills, N nothing at all. You know, I think the, the, the basics are the basics. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, certainly what I uh, would say is, again, as I described it as Greenfield, what we don't have here is a sales competency framework. So, you know, we, we don't have a, a, a sort of a skill set matrix that yeah. very clearly call out the skills that you will need or you should exhibit or want to grow yeah. as a salesperson very specifically to your role as a salesperson to help you become successful in that role. So, so we have nothing here. Again, if I reflect back to my previous organization, we didn't have anything there. I mean, I left American Express, you know, nine, uh, seven, eight years ago, and we certainly didn't have anything there. Okay. So again, I do think it's, it's, it's kind of the back to the basics of, actually, we need to have a sales competency framework, number one. Number two, does it call out those skill sets that are yeah. buckets of skills that are very, very specific to the sales role? And then how do we have the right uh, uh, training and coaching programs mm. to be able to help develop that skill set? So again, from an enablement perspective, you know, we can roll out all of the training, but if it doesn't come with some, some form of coaching, you're not going to reinforce and embed that skill set. You're not going to get, the, you know, you individual contributor to, to continue to focus on that reflect on it learn mm -hmm. from it learn from the positives and the, the constructives and the opportunities and yeah. then start to instill that behavior into their day-to-day -day practice and then that comes back to actually do we have even a sales leadership coaching program uh, within within equifax we don't in equifax uk we mm -hmm. certainly don't have a sales leadership coaching program so again that's a that's a you know kind of a massive gap as i've sort of talked to a number of the sales leaders over the mm -hmm. last year or so uh without a doubt um, every single person has 
oftentimes the same story, which is I, I was great as an individual contributor. I yeah. got promoted into a leadership role. I didn't necessarily initially want to be in a leadership role. Now I really love it. I learned my leadership journey through a you know a process of trial and error. So you know, and, and and it's exactly why actually if I'd had a coaching program and a development program when I was moved into that sales leadership role, it would have been so so different. And yes, we have leadership growth programs here at Equifax on a global basis. So I'm certainly not taking away from that. And you know, yeah. I think, and I've encouraged all of our sales leadership to look at that. But as with any kind of any kind of function, you know, in the first instance, if you're if you're if you're you know promoted from an individual contributor to a leadership role, in the first instance, in, in a lot of you know a lot of cases, you're, you're so proud of that fact. You just, and, and, and you you know you mm. you at the same time often oftentimes don't have enough bandwidth and capacity to start to engage in a whole bunch of other organizational yeah. formal learning if it exists. So actually what we need is something a little bit more local, a little bit more customized, a little bit more focused mm. on sales leadership, certainly the first first line sales leadership population yeah. and giving them all of the coaching, the development and the tools mm. that they need to help ultimately coach the, yeah. the, the individuals rolling up into that. And as I said, I think that there's again no silver bullet. I think it's 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 kind of the basics. It's one oh one. But yeah. if you can do that and you can do that well, and you have the time afforded to you by your organization to put those practices and those frameworks and those disciplines in place, mm. I, I think you start to see material uh, gains come from that. Yeah. So I'm recognizing where we are time wise, and uh, I just wonder whether we could finish off. Um, sort of talking about your roles beyond um, Equifax, because you have an interest in the ISP and also I think the Sales Enablement Society as well, if Absolutely. I'm not mistaken. So yes. could you just tell me a little bit about those two roles and why, you know, why are you investing time, you know, in in those two organizations? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I love it. And, and yeah. maybe maybe that maybe that sounds, I don't know. I mean, is it is it in, is it? Is it uh, do 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 we ever do anything that's a hundred percent altruistic? I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, I get you know I get some value in return in terms yes. of being able to uh, showcase my thought leadership, showcase my engagement, showcase yeah. my my desire to help the community, and that that reflects positively on me. Yeah. But but ultimately, I think you know what I um, you know what I I really value is the opportunity to be able to make that that kind of community based contribution. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll kind of let you into to uh, an insight about myself. I've reflected on this a few times, right? Um, <clears throat> a, a few years ago, almost ten years ago, one of my my, my best friends passed away, uh, mm. and unfortunately, he, he you know he, he took his own life. And and from that point in time, I've always been sort of thinking, and and I've never kind of thought, could I have done more? Because I know that as a group of friends, we did everything that we could to support. Yeah, and it was. Um, but and I think at, my, at that time, uh, ten years ago, in the place that I was in the organization that I was in, I don't think I I really kind of understood how that connected to my why and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to mm -hmm. um, like notion of living a high performance and fulfilling life. I don't think I connected to it previously. And over the last two to three years, I've connected much more emphatically towards it. I've connected much more in the context of this is what I love doing. This is what I like to do. This is what I'd like to be able to bring. Um, I think my connections to the Sales Enablement Society, the Sales Enablement Collective, even supporting through Be The Business uh, yeah. kind of uh, um, startup uh, businesses and founders, um, my connection to the ISP, and of course, even, even here, all yes. of these areas allow me to sort of convey that message of, I, I want to, in the, in the, in the, the spaces where I have some some opportunity to operate, I want to be able to convey that message of, mm. of helping people live a high performance life, right? Yeah. So I think that's that's what's connected me, and I and I've and, and I still feel slightly cheesy and embarrassed about saying that, but maybe it isn't. But maybe that that is what I'm genuinely passionate yeah. about. And actually, mm -hmm. when I kind of come back to it and I center on that, I feel complete. And then it's kind yeah. of like, okay, that that's sort of the, the driver. Yeah. Thank you uh, for sharing. Uh, very poignant story and i think these pivotal moments that we have in our lives you know and how we reflect back on it and it was interesting it, it it's been some time after the event wasn't it that you sort of yeah. sounds like it, it took you a while to process but then 
you know, a couple of years ago, you it sort of helped clarify your own purpose and why you it, do what you do. Exactly. And I think to a certain extent, also, you know, age always helps. Right? Yeah. So, you know, a few more gray hairs and, and you, know, you start to go, actually, what do I enjoy doing? And why is that? And how have maybe more very challenging experiences like that? How, how have they helped me? And actually, what do I want to do? And, yeah. and so that's kind of what I'd say. I say has definitely shaped, yeah. you know, kind of my engagement. Yeah. It's a central uh, module that we have on our sales leadership masters is, um, is going down into your own values and belief systems. And, you know, there are two ways you can do this just, just very quickly. There's a, a quick way where you can sort of start to look at a list of values and beliefs that uh, exist from a list and choose those that you think most relate to you. And then the other way, which I think is better, is actually going back into pivotal moments in your life and really reflecting on what you did as a consequence of that and, uh, and exploring more deeply um, your feelings at the time. Uh, enables you to come up with a more authentic, I would say, selection process. And it, yeah. what I found, it is very rare to get um, salespeople, sales leaders, actually knowing what their core values and belief systems are. And without without that knowledge, I think it's very difficult then to create, or less difficult, it's more difficult to then create a sort of an authentic leadership vision of how you want to lead your team because you haven't you haven't quite figured out who you are and what your role is. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's hugely important. But like you say, sometimes it comes with experience and age. Um, but it's often one of the most transformative elements of the master's program is that sort of deep self-reflection that you need to have, which really looks at your own personal operating system. Because once you know that, you can then start to build on it, you know, in different ways. But um, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. No, it's been a fascinating conversation. We've gone an hour already, and I honestly, you know, the time is sped <laughs> so quickly. I'm sorry it's, uh, well, it's taken us on to the hour, but I just want to thank you hugely for taking part and sharing your thoughts and points of view. I think our listeners are going to find it a really, really interesting podcast. So I, thank you very much. No, and equally thank you so much. And thank you yeah. for your patience in terms of getting the schedule. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate no problem. That.